Hi friends, welcome back to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And we're launching off today in a new season in our journey together through the entire Bible. Today we begin season six, which is the Gospel of Mark. The plan is to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, but doing alternative Old and New Testament books as we progress together. So if you're here for the very first time, you're very welcome. Or if you've been here for a lot longer than that and are with us on this entire journey, that's fantastic as well. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast from, whatever your favourite podcast platform is. But a big help and a big favour to me is if you are enjoying and appreciating our time together, then why not leave a review on whatever podcast platform you use? Because that is in fact the best way where other people have a greater likelihood of finding this podcast and they too can make a decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of their daily lives as well. So with that said, we'll drop off and begin our new season together. But do hang on at the end as I've got some information on a brand new book I have out. And I'll be asking for some help at the end from people who would like to receive a free copy of the book. And in fact, my future books by becoming a test reader and reviewer. Anyway, just hang on at the end for that. So that all said, it's bye bye for now. Hello friends, today we begin the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to be covering, I reckon we're going to be about 40 to 50 days working together through the Gospel of Mark. So probably about seven weeks, two months together. We're going to go, as is our pattern, through the entire book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And today I've called today's introductory opening time together, Ready to Serve. By way of an introduction, I'm thinking about how we might approach this Gospel of Mark together. I'd like to begin by asking you just to ponder a question in your mind, and that is, what would you say is the main purpose of the Christian life? I believe what many do say it is about being conformed to the image of Christ, having a relationship with God. God loves us and wants to have a relationship with us, and that relationship is deepened by us being conformed into being Christ-like. And that means very practically in my mind, it means behaving and thinking like Christ in every situation, every everyday situation. So how might we achieve that in the future? How might we achieve that today? Well, one way I would suggest is to look closely, well, at any one of the four gospel accounts of the life of Christ because they're written directly about his life. They're eyewitness testimonies of his life. The four gospel accounts are, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, we've already spent the time together in Matthew a few seasons back, but in all these four gospel accounts, we have the words of Jesus recorded and four different accounts of his life and ministry and what not only he said, but what the gospel writers and others said about him. We need to understand, of course, that each book has a particular perspective. In Matthew, it portrays Christ as the Messiah of the Jewish people, the King of the Jews, in fact. 
Luke particularly focuses on what it means to see Jesus as the Son of Man, and John focuses particularly on the deity of Christ, seeing Jesus as the Son of the Eternal God, the Eternal Son of the Eternal God, in fact. So if we look at the direct gospel of accounts of Christ as contained in the Bible and scriptures, there are, if you like, four ways, four lenses through which you can view him and get an understanding of what he likes. Now, some of you may say, well, if our purpose is to be like him, well, that's a bit of a tall order. How can we be like him? After all, he is the son of God. He did some amazing stuff, but he was perfect and we can't be perfect like, like him. Well, that's true, but on the other hand, the Bible actually refers frequently to Christian believers as children of God. In fact, John's account of the life of Christ, he said in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So maybe it's not as difficult as it seems because this clearly tells us that when a believer trusts in Christ, they at some way, at some level, become participants of this divine nature. And by doing so, they are indeed children of God. Now, of course, Jesus, being the Son of God, was the Son of God in a unique way that we are not. In fact, John 3.16, that very famous verse tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, the King James translation is probably better when it describes him as the only begotten Son. Our NIV points in the same direction when it says one and only Son, but it's saying that Jesus is the eternal begotten Son, the Son of the Father, the Son of God, and that is a child of God in a way that we, in fact, are not. We are, of course, beneficiaries of his divine nature, but he is the one who had the divine nature himself. Now, Luke, in his gospel account, portrays Christ as the Son of Man. And that's probably an easier one. That's a great way for us to connect and understand him on a human level. For we, too, of course, are fully human, and he himself came as a man as a human, born of a virgin, born of a human mother, human descent on his mother's side. So that enables us to connect in understanding the human nature of God, because of course every one of us is someone's daughter or someone's son. When Christ took on human form, he became fully man in order to, to identify completely with us, because each and every one of us is already a child of humanity. Okay, that's Luke's view, and that's clear enough. But here's a tough one. Matthew portrayed him as a king, the Messiah and king. How can we be kings? Well, the Bible does tell us if we endure and if we were faithful, we will in fact reign with him. And we are also told that in heaven, at the judgment seat of Christ, we will receive a crown of righteousness. So here we are together, about to launch off in our next season together in the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And now we're going to take a walk through the life and ministry and words of Christ himself through the gospel account given to us by Mark. And it's worth knowing that in Mark's account, Jesus is betrayed as a servant. In fact, Mark summarized this for us towards the end of account when he himself was offering a summary of the life of 
Jesus when he said in chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Most theologians agree that this verse gives us the main subject of the whole Gospel of Mark. But notice this statement also applies to us. In fact, if I go back a couple of verses to verse 43 and read that verse in the full context with its lead-in, it says this, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So that's the context. So according to this, we are to take on the characteristics of a servant, because that is what Mark is telling us it means to be Christ-like. So to be like Jesus, we too are to be like servants. So what I propose to do in this season, in this study time together, over these next couple of months, is as we study the life of Christ, I want us to try and get out of it the ability to be more Christ-like, to enable us to discover how, in Jesus being a servant, we too might be those who can serve, serve God and serve our fellow men and women. But what I would say to you is sometimes you might be surprised at just what exactly that means. We launch off today. We're going to cover the first 13 verses today. But I'll begin by just reading for you Mark chapter 1 verses 1 to 3. I'm usually reading in the New King James Version, but of course the scriptures and the full text of everything I say is included in the transcript and the notes page of this podcast episode. So, Mark 1, starting at verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare a way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. These opening verses of Mark's Gospel are going to serve as an introduction to the entire book. And I believe that straight away there are three things about Jesus' life and ministry going to be revealed here. Firstly, it's going to talk about a forerunner, this guy called John the Baptist. And a lot of this opening passage is going to be taken up with describing this forerunner of Jesus. The second thing it will do, it will tell us that Jesus was baptized. And the third it's going to do is tell us that he was tempted. It's going to race through those three major events, not in the detail in other gospel accounts, but as a way of saying this is the preparation of the Son of God, ready to serve to the will of the Father and serve humankind on our behalf. So in introducing this gospel, I'm going to look through this passage and explain the why and in what way Jesus had this forerunner. Then we're going to look at he was baptized and why he was baptized. And then we shall finish off by looking at how he was tempted and what that means. Now, quite reasonably, you might think, well, what has this opening passage, this opening section got to do with being a servant? Well, believe you me, if you stick with me, I hope by the end you'll find out. Most conservative scholars who approach this book tell us the opening passage is all about the preparation that Jesus underwent before becoming, before being commissioned almost into his role as the Messiah, the servant king. 
And I do believe by studying it, we too might have an understanding of what might be involved in us too being prepared for service. If Jesus himself had to be prepared for service, prepared for his ministry, so to speak, then perhaps we too might benefit from understanding what went on here. So let's begin by looking at the whole opening section verse by verse. And it starts out by in this very first verse by introducing this guy called John the Baptist and telling us that he's a forerunner. Verse 1, chapter 1 said the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So straightforward introduction. This is the beginning. This is the good news, the gospel. This is the story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's all there in the opening verse. And it's interesting to me that the opening to this book is all about portraying and reminding us that Jesus is a servant. But in doing so, he begins by stating that he is both the Messiah and the Son of God, which on its own stands very far removed from being a servant. So we need to pause here just for a second and talk about that. How can anyone be a son and a servant at the same time? We're being told that we are a child of God and a servant at the same time as well ourselves. Well, I think we're being told this, and perhaps actually we're being made aware of this, because it is potentially dangerous if you think of yourself just as a child of God, if you don't recognize that you're also a servant of God and a servant of other people as well. If you only think yourself as some special child of God, then you're in danger that you might think that the whole world should bow at your feet and everything should be done in the way that you think it should and things should work out for you in the way that they should work out. But on the other hand, if you hold intention the fact that you are also a servant, then you might also understand that you actually, in fact, hold a more humble position in the great scheme of things in this world and God's plan. The truth is we are both children of God and his servant at the same time. And we need to always remember that we are, in fact, both. So with that in mind, now this passage is going, having said that, is going to explain how Jesus himself is going to be prepared to be a servant. And interestingly, the following verses, in fact, contain quotations from the Old Testament. Verses 2 and 3 tell us, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. So verse 2 is from Isaiah and verse 3 is from the book of Malachi, who by the way himself is referencing Isaiah by saying, I will send a messenger before you. The passage then goes on to explain that the messenger is this guy called John the Baptist, and he is the one who has come to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, that was a very well-known passage. Not for It's not just well-known for us this day, but it would have been very well-known for people of that time as the passage that epitomized the messianic hope. It was the passage that reminded them that a forerunner would appear, someone who would prepare the way for the actual Messiah to come. And these quotations, well, the other quotation is from Isaiah 40, verse 3, when he talks about him preparing the way by being as it's described here, a voice crying in the wilderness. So these verses introduce the fact that this is all about the preparation of the people for the coming of the Messiah. And the one who has been called to prepare that way, the forerunner, is this man called John the Baptist. And then the next verse tells us this, 
verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So let's talk about this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins for a minute. By speaking about repentance, he is saying to the people, Look, you think you've got special privileges because you're a son of Abraham, but I need to tell you that the important thing is you need to individually, personally repent, which means to change your whole perspective. He's warning them not to think that they have any special individual merit before God just because they're part of this important nation of Israel. Rather, they should change their mind about that and that they should repent think in a new way, turn around and cast themselves individually upon the mercies of God. And then once people have done that, he says they should be baptised. And that's in fact what John did and that's where he got his name. The clue is in his name. He preached repentance for the forgiveness of sin and then John baptised people. In fact, verse 5 tells us the whole Judean countryside and the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So this verse tells us that a great number of people are responding to this forerunner's call, a mass of people. It seems as if almost the whole town is heading out and people are confessing their sins and requesting baptism. And that's what's going on here. It is then at this point that Mark describes what John looks like. And it says John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. Now what a description that is. It really struck me at the time when I first heard it as a child. The picture it painted in my mind seemed to be a cross between a hippie who was quite prevalent at that time and a wild sort of Tarzan-like figure. I think in truth I probably missed the main point in this description, the fact that what he wore was this clothing made of camel hair and a leather belt. And that's actually quite important because that signals, that signifies that he is coming dressed in exactly the same way as Elijah was described. And you may remember, you may know if you've read the other gospel accounts, that when John the Baptist was born, we discover an angel appears to his father and tells him that his son would come in the spirit of Elijah. So this is in fact telling us that John the Baptist was not only in the spirit of Elijah, he even dressed like Elijah in his role as the forerunner of the Messiah. The text then begins to tell us what he actually said and did. Verse 7 and 8 say, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Wow, what a statement. John is saying, I'm proclaiming the Messiah and I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. I'm not even unworthy to unloose his shoes. And as a further example of humility, he says, look, I'm only baptizing you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, these opening eight verses are simply telling us and describing for us pretty much mainly just describing the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And that is that he is this guy, John the Baptist, and that he came and he preached and he prepared the way for Jesus. And John prepared that way by preaching that you need to repent and turn away from your sinful entanglements, that you need to trust in God's mercy through his Messiah 
individually, not collectively through any religious or ethnic group that you belong to, and that after trusting in him as an individual, you need to be baptized in order to identify yourself with this new community of believers that you're now part of. And when you do that, the Messiah is then going to meet you personally in that spiritual place and baptize you with his Holy Spirit. Now, I began this episode by saying the purpose of the Christian life is ultimately for us to become more like Christ. Well, I'd like to suggest that if we are to be servants, then there must have been things prepared in advance for us to do. As servants, we just don't go out there and do whatever we want to do. We do what the master tells us to do, and we do the things that he has prepared in advance for us to do. And I want to suggest that when you talk to people about the Lord, which is primarily what we're called to do, tell them about who he is and what he's done in our life, we're going to meet people, the majority of people perhaps, who are going to reject that message and won't want to hear it. But I will also tell you that there are many out there who have been prepared in advance to hear what you say. The Lord himself has prepared them, so to speak. Well, we often hear about people being called and being given a gift of evangelism or a gift of preaching or a gift of encouragement. Well, it seems reasonable to me if God has given us all these gifts by which we might reach people, then he might indeed not only call people to express the gifts, but he also might call some people to listen or to experience those gifts. God, even now, is preparing people for us to speak to. People who will listen to you and to you only. There are people who will listen to you who would never listen to me. People who would listen to your life and your lived experience, but never listen to a minister or a preacher in a pulpit. Just understand that you've been called and you've been prepared and that people also out there have been prepared to hear what you're going to say. These people have been prepared in advance by God himself, so simply go out and find them. But the first thing that happens as preparation of Jesus becoming the servant king is that this forerunner goes out before them. Then the second thing we see in this passage, picking up at verse 9, is we now see Jesus himself get baptised. It says, At that time, Jesus of Nazareth in Galilee was baptised by John in the river Jordan. Jesus was baptised by John, but we need to know that this baptism by John was different to the baptism of ordinary people. How do I know that? Well, of course, the people were baptized by John. We are told we're being baptized for the remission of sins. And clearly that doesn't apply to Jesus. If you look at Matthew's accounts of these events, just for a moment, Matthew 3 verses 14 and 15 tell us this extra information. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed it. So Matthew tells us that the baptism of Jesus by John was not actually about the forgiveness of sin, but it was done in order to fulfill all righteousness. The baptism of Jesus was carried out, in other words, in order that he might fully identify with people the people he was to serve and to become a sacrifice for, to identify with them and to set a template and an example of how we might live out this new relationship of coming before the Lord 
individually in repentance and faith. So Jesus is baptized by John. And then the next verse tells us what actually happened when he did that. It says, just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. So when he was baptized by John, we are told that this event, this occurrence, was approved by the Father in, in heaven himself. Think about this. At this point, Jesus is about 30 years old, and the Father is saying, all you have done up to this point in your life meets my approval. Now remember, Jesus had just been living as an ordinary human, an ordinary man, making a living as a carpenter in Nazareth, working alongside his father, Joseph. Now here at the age of 30, he is baptized and God the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son. Everything that you have done so far, I am well pleased with. So part of him being prepared for service, we've got to accept, was just him living an ordinary human life among other people and living it in a way that was pleasing to the Father. And of course, with Jesus, that was in a way that was without son. So he, Jesus is baptized here and we see the Spirit descend upon him. Now notice this is one of the very few passages in Scripture when all three persons of the Trinity are involved. Jesus is in the River Jordan, the Spirit is said to descend upon him and the Father is in heaven speaking. So let's be clear friends, part of Jesus' preparation for service was him being baptized. And the presence of the Trinity, the full, complete presence of the Godhead and all its aspects being present at this event testifies to the importance of it. But then, after that, there is a third thing that happens in this opening passage. Because immediately after these events, it says Jesus is tempted. The next verse tells us that pretty much instantly after these events, this happens. At once, as you can see, at once. The Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with wild animals and angels attending him. Now it tells us he in the wilderness, so he must face his trial and his temptation alone. Well, alone of course, except for the Holy Spirit. It was in fact the Holy Spirit we see that at once drove him into the wilderness, and it would be the Holy Spirit that would be with him throughout. Previously, we know the children of Israel had spent some time in the wilderness, and it was in the wilderness they too were confronted by the will of God. They faced a temptation, and they failed. And because they failed, they also failed to enter the land which had been promised to them. But now Jesus goes into the wilderness and faces temptation and succeeds. He faces the temptation of Satan and succeeds. Now, unlike Matthew's and Luke's account, Mark does not go into any detail at all about this temptation. He simply tells us that it happened. But he does add something that Mark and Luke don't include. I wonder if you spotted it. It's easy to miss. It actually says in verse 13 that he was with the wild animals and the angels and they attended him. Now, why mention that extra fact? Well, let me tell you, this is because that this book of Mark was written to Roman Christians. Each gospel account has a very slightly different emphasis because they were written primarily to different ethnic or cultural groups of people at that time. 
Matthew was written to a Jewish audience around 70 AD to introduce them to Christ as the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. Luke was written a little later, probably around 80 AD, to the very early Christian church and would probably have been read out in worship and communion services across the spreading Christian world. Then following on from that, around AD 90, John's account was written and was written primarily into a Greek culture and was done in order to help evangelize those who came from a Greek philosophical background and worldview. Now Mark, on the other hand, well, experts say it was written first and was written probably around 60 AD, so at least 20 to 30 years before the others. And importantly, Mark was written to an audience of Roman Christians and written at a time when Nero was the Roman Empire and he was persecuting those Christians. They knew what it meant firsthand to be persecuted. They knew what it meant firsthand to see their brothers and sister thrown into the arena and devoured by wild animals. Mark is subtly saying here that Jesus today, he's being tempted, he's being tempted like you, and he's resisting in all parts, even to the point of drawing attention to the, the wild animals that one day that you might meet face to face in the arena, even those are being brought into submission by him. And actually said to be attending to him. What a message of hope that must be. Now, in drawing this together, our first time together, I want to try and draw it all together for us. And I just want to try and, well, I trust you notice the main big thing here. And that is that Jesus went from baptism straight to the wilderness. Jesus went from this place of going, this is the son in whom I'm well pleased, straight into the wilderness and an attack of the enemy. So Jesus, in his preparation for service, went from the peak of the spiritual mountaintop to the spiritual wilderness in the valley. And that, my friends, is a fair representation of life. That is the way things often go in real life. Now today, all I've been doing in this introductory episode of our new season together, where we're going to spend working through the Gospel of Mark, is trying to launch off this book in such a way as it sets the story within the context of the whole book. So understand its background. What I'm suggesting is that even Jesus, before he began to serve, had a period of preparation. And that period for him involved being baptized as a signal of a way to identify with him and to identify with our relationship with God at the most profound intimate level. But also, even he had to resist temptation. So let me conclude this opening session together by making some suggestions. One suggestion you need to know is who you really are. You need to know, as is described here, that you too are a child of God and you shouldn't forget that. But you also need to know that if you are going to be like Christ, then that will involve you too being a servant. And I'm going to suggest that from now on, we are called, I believe Mark is teaching us that we are called to walk around in this life thinking, how am I a servant in this situation? How can I serve in this situation? Now, let me tell you, that's the exact opposite of what most people think when they look at Christians and some Christians themselves. They just don't get it that Jesus said, I have come not to be served, but to serve. So if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then my shorthand reply to that, well, then in every situation, you simply need to ask, how can I serve here? And another thing 
uh, I think is worth mentioning, I believe you also need to be prepared for service by being baptized. Why? Because Jesus himself was baptized himself and said so. You see, when we get baptized as a believer, we make a public statement identifying with Jesus Christ, God's Messiah, and with other Christians who've made that same decision. We say, I'm a follower of Christ, and like others before me, I wish to testify to the fact that my sins have been forgiven. Jesus himself was baptized as a statement of identifying with us, and by doing that, he identified with us in the closest imaginable way, and I think we should respond and do likewise. And of course, finally, if you're going to serve the Lord and be his servant, we all need to learn to withstand temptation. And you do that ultimately by calling on the name of the Lord and by trusting in his word. So if you are truly to be like Christ, then you need to be prepared by doing these things and by ultimately, most importantly, adopting the attitude of being a servant. I wonder if that's how you think of yourself. Do you think of yourself as a believer, as a servant? Well, as we embark on this series of studies and messages together, working our way through the entire Gospel of Mark and the life and ministry of Jesus, one of the great messages I hope we all get soaked with is the fact that you are a child of God, and as a child of God, you are called to be a servant. And in Jesus, of course, we have the ultimate example of being a servant. And it is important to remember that being a servant, friends, is not a lowly position in the sight of God. Being a servant is in fact the position of the highest honor, the highest value in the economy of God. In the kingdom of God, those who serve and see themselves as servant are in fact given the place of the highest honor in the coming kingdom and in the kingdom of God today. Okay, friends, thank you for joining me. I do hope you find that helpful. Don't forget to click on the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts from, and that way you need not miss another single episode. That way you've made the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. The Bible Project podcast is available on all the platforms, but it's hosted on the bibleproject.buzzsprout.com and that's where you'll find links to all the places you can contact with us. It's also the place where you should find the episode notes page and a full transcript with the scriptures of everything that's there. But before I close today I would just like to remind you that I have a new book out which is a new project for me, the first of what I hope will be many, of providing people with a modern version in contemporary language of some of the most important books in church history. And the first of those is my contemporary English version of Martin Luther's commentary and epistle to the Galatians. Now there's a link where you can purchase it on Amazon and a few other places in the episode notes, but I'm also looking for people to join my patrons. One of the roles of the patrons can fulfill if they want for me is they can become test readers and reviewers of my books and future books coming. So by becoming a patron and subscribing as little as two pounds, three dollars a month, 
you're supporting this ministry, making it enable to be freely available. And it's kind of, that's the only way that this daily Bible Project podcast is funded and is enabled to happen. And that's the reason it's free is because there is a group of people who are supporting it financially. And as a way of thanks to those people, I send free copies of my books and future books through the post prior to publication, but also requesting for them to leave a review within 30 days of the book being published because that's the best way in which we can enable this ministry to move forward because profits of these book sales are 100% used to support this ministry, free outreach ministry of the Bible Project Daily Podcast and my plans in the future, Lord willing, to provide more Christian-focused material to sit within other podcast networks, not just religion, but sort of history and self-help as well. As things get bigger, obviously things get more complicated and costs are involved, and that's one way we can allow the potential to have more people really be brought within the orbit of the gospel, more people to be given the opportunity to have their lives changed by the power of God and His Holy Spirit as revealed through His Word. So, if you feel God's calling you, if you're benefiting from this, perhaps consider leaving a review on whatever podcast platform you get this from, and also sign up as a patron and get involved in this new publishing project. Anyway, that's enough for me today. Thank you again for joining me, and I do hope I'll see you back here again tomorrow. Well, it'll be tomorrow for me, whatever day it happens to be for you, on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.